Open your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Thanks to those that commented at our break about seeing the importance of Caiaphas and putting him higher than Judas or Pilate in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Judas wanted to make 30 pieces of silver. There's no evidence that, Je that Judas had any diabolical hatred of Jesus Christ. He was a thief. He wanted 30 more pieces of silver. Pilate, he was forced into crucifying Jesus Christ. Caiaphas, diabolical hatred of Jesus of Nazareth. Very different, and I, I'm, I hope that you can see it, and I'm glad that you can see it. We may have more to say in these verses that we're looking at. John chapter 18, I marvel at our, this apostle, and I, I spend most of my time here. I'll go to the other Gospels when I need to, but I want you to see the little things that he does that are a little unique. We would not know about that council of the Jews with Caiaphas saying it's better to kill one man and save the nation without John. That's in John. And then it was verse 14 that directed us back to that John chapter 11 to pick it up again and remind ourselves who this man was. And if you go do a Bible search on Caiaphas, you'll run into him as leading the council of the Jews to kill Jesus Christ. And they conspired with Judas for 30 pieces of silver to betray him out of the public eye so that they could kill him. And he's the one that turned him over to Pilate. Because as soon, as soon as we get out of this chapter, it's off to Pilate with them early in the morning and to press Pilate and to press Herod that they kill him. And they turn him over to the Gentiles. Let me show you that prophecy. Matthew chapter 20. I just want to show you the Lord's emphasis on being betrayed over to Gentiles. Nations do not give up their own to the other, another nation. Teams do not give up a player to another team. You fight for your own. You know, we have segments of our military that will never leave, a, never leave one of their own on the battlefield. They will do whatever it takes, even if he's dead, to bring that body back. But this nation and its leader of the nation turned Jesus over to an enemy that they hated, that they knew had no constitutional right being there, but by de facto judgment of God upon Israel, the Romans were there. Matthew chapter 20, verse, eight, verse 17, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, so this is private instruction between Jesus and the twelve apostles, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. That is all Judas did. See, that doesn't qualify John 19, 10 or 11, does it? This is lit less. And they shall condemn him to death for blasphemy and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock. They, the, scri the chief priests and the scribes under the direction of Caiaphas were the ones that condemned him to death and they delivered him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Jesus giving a little thumbnail sketch of what was going to happen to him. Notice the emphasis on being given over to Gentiles. Just unheard of for a Jew to do that. And so Jesus focuses on that crime and it's Caiaphas that did it by turning him over to Pilate and to Herod. Just another cross-reference as you read your New Testament to see the emphasis on this particular man. We are at verse 15, and I'll read through uh, verse 18. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest, and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there, who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus. Peter still had some zeal, or he would not have followed Jesus, taken by the Jewish mob. He ran away with the other ten. The eleven fled. Matthew tells us very plainly they all fled when Jesus was cuffed, bound, and taken away. Jesus had foretold they would all be scattered that night to their own ways, and they were. 
Jesus had told the mob that they should arrest him and let the 11 apostles go. But Peter had responded with misguided zeal by drawing a sword. So he was showing some of his commitment to Jesus Christ. He drew his sword and then he followed afar off, the Bible tells us, as they made their way the two miles back to Jerusalem. So Peter's following afar off. He wants to see what happens. He still is attached to his Lord to a point. After running from the arrest scene, Peter went back to Jerusalem and Jesus took the two miles back into the city where they had come from earlier that evening after the Last Supper. A lesson. Jesus had told Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. You're all going to be scattered to fulfill Scripture. And to the mob, take me, I'm your man, let these go. Peter could have said, okay, that's the Lord's will. I'm going to let him go. If he's got a cup to drink, I don't need to, to restrict it or to hinder it, so I'll let them go. Would have been better than what he did. Every time you take a burden upon you that God didn't put on you, you're asking for temptation to be, get into trouble and not finish your course with joy. We want to be zealous. Do you know what zeal does sometimes? Sets our goals too high. Then when we don't achieve them or we don't live consistently with them, we're crushed by it. Satan gets an advantage with us and we look poor to anyone. So it's a lesson. Don't overdo it. And I like overdoing it. If you know what I'm saying. But we shouldn't overdo it. The Bible says, be not many masters. Does the Bible say, covet to be masters? Does the Bible say, covet earnestly the best gifts? But it says, be not many masters, knowing that they shall receive the greater condemnation. Does the Bible say, don't desire to be rich or poor? Ask the Lord for that happy ground right in the middle, because either one's going to get you in trouble. So we want, to, we want to be wise, and we can pick up a little bit of that from Peter right here. Do not be foolishly guilty of taking on burdens or duties too difficult to easily fulfill. <coughs> it's a common sin of misguided zeal to imply or promise things too hard to maintain. If it's a command of Christ, even if it's hard, do it, and he'll give you strength for it. Peter had no such command. Just... Jesus does not say, you men, if any of you have courage, why don't you follow me into Jerusalem tonight? He was going to do it himself. He was going to go to the slaughter alone. It seems, when we look at this verse, that the Lord arranged circumstances, according to John, as to how Peter could get into the palace of the high priest. Right here in this 15th verse. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, that disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. So did another disciple. Two disciples of Jesus were there that night at the palace of the high priest Caiaphas. They both had followed Jesus into Jerusalem or to Annas or to Caiaphas's palace right here as this verse comes up. The word disciple does not have to mean an apostle. Just a follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus would have known Peter and likely vice versa for the next event. And so we come to this clause. That disciple was known unto the high priest. Most people reading the Gospel of John assume that this other disciple that is dealt with anonymously is John. Because John likes to deal with himself anonymously as the disciple that Jesus loved. And he does it several times. And so most assume that it's John, but it doesn't have to be John, and it's highly unlikely that it was John. John did refer to himself as the disciple Jesus loved, and John did refer to himself as that disciple when related to Peter later in this gospel. However, and I'm just going to briefly share these because they're not important. I don't care who the other disciple was. What we want to know is the other disciple, God doesn't care. I'm not going to care. But the other disciple got Peter into the palace so that three denials could occur, and after the third denial, there would be a look exchanged. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yep. 
So the other disciple didn't do him the biggest of services, honestly. Because he got him in there where the heat of the battle was. Those pe- there were people confronting each other about who else was a follower of this Jesus of Nazareth that's about to be condemned to death. And Peter couldn't handle that heat. Even when John used anonymity for a while, he would eventually own up to the fact. And when you go to John 21 and verse 24, he'll say, this is that disciple. And he'll tell you that the, that the games he's been playing with you about the disciple Jesus loved, it's really me. And it's John 21, 24, and he doesn't do it here. It is unlikely that a backwoods redneck fisherman from Galilee that, didn't know, that wasn't very educated and didn't know how to speak very well 80 miles away was known to the high priest so well that it could easily gain access to his palace on a night like this. Yep. It is unlikely an outspoken apostle of Jesus like John would be tolerated by Caiaphas. For three and a half years, John, remember, he's a son of thunder. This is John and James of Zebedee, so he's a son of thunder. It's highly unlikely that Caiaphas had some love relationship with John. It's just people wanting to jump to conclusions when it doesn't have to be. Whoever this disciple was, his reputation was good enough for staff also. Because this other disciple could come out and say to the doorkeeper, though a woman, though called a maid, though a porter, let Peter in also. No questions, no fighting, no arguments. So this person had some sway. It is in Jerusalem... It could have been Nicodemus. Was Nicodemus a ranking Jewish leader? Yes, he was. Was he a disciple? Yes. Joseph of Arimathea, was he a disciple? What else did he have going for him that politicians love? Cash. He was a rich man. There's more likelihood of it being Joseph of Arimathea than there is of the Apostle John. You know, Joseph of Arimathea being a rich man... And maybe converted, maybe had helped Caiaphas in the past financially, whatever, could easily have filled the bill. It's not important. It might have been the man that provided the furnished room for Jesus at the Passover just a few hours earlier when they ate the Passover in Jerusalem. And they went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. Verse 16, but Peter stood at the door without. That the, the disciple that knew Caiaphas went in by himself. Peter didn't. Peter first stood at the door, then this other man comes and gets him in verse 16. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. You ask me, why, is, why isn't the person identified? Well, you'll get to ask him when you get there. It doesn't, it's not important. How do you know that it's not to protect that person's life? doesn't need to be known. And sometimes the Lord doesn't tell us things, even though we want to know so badly, just to keep us calm and trusting what he does tell us. Our lives are too short to keep what he has told us, let alone worry about the stuff that he hasn't told us and speculate about it. Honestly, did you see the pages that I, I sent you in an update on Friday? I gave you the simplest Harmony of the Gospels in Tuesday's update. In Friday's update, I told you about the two most esteemed ones. A.T. Robertson's, a Baptist, is, was 386 pages or so. Now that's the kind of detail they go into. Then Eidersheim, number one, all time, Harmony of the Gospels, 1136 pages. You can, you can find out what breakfast cereal that Nicodemus ate on Wednesdays. All speculation. And from, his, from the scant historical documents we have about the life and times of Jesus the Messiah. I just want this. I want to know what is said here. And when Jesus speaks, I want to know the doctrine. And I want to know these exact events. And, and so don't get too distracted about this other disciple. If you like it being John, I don't care. We're not going to exclude you for heresy. If you think it's Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus, likewise, no exclusion for heresy. But there was a contact to get Peter where he needed to be to deny Jesus three times and for their looks. Peter is going to be close enough that Jesus is going to be able to turn and look at him when he denies him and he's going to go out and weep bitterly. And that's plenty enough for me to understand from these verses right here. Verse 16, Peter stood at the door without. 
Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. Verse 17. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And you know, when you read the other gospel accounts, he gets pretty intense about it. And he starts cursing with number two and cursing and swearing with oaths at number three. If this is the case, two disciples, Peter lied in the hearing of the other disciple. I want you to just add add to the grief of Peter and what he did. Did the other disciple come out, get Peter, tell the maid, let this man in as well? And that maid said, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? I am not. Do you know what we'll stoop to if the Lord lets go of us? Remember, Jesus turned Peter over to Satan. Satan wanted to sift Peter, and the Lord said, He's going to sift you, but I'm going to pray for you, and when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. I have prayed for thee. I have prayed for thee. You will not fail altogether. Sometimes the Lord lets go of us, and we're capable of anything, but He's also capable of anything, and that's bringing us back. And repentance does it. And he went out and wept bitterly, as you know. But that was after number three. This is only number one. And we're on verse 17. This temptation is nearly ridiculous to us. There was no search party for disciples. There was a warrant only for Jesus. Why was he so worried? Because he had said this. If all other men deny you, I will never deny you, even to death. And so he had set himself up in pride as being better than the other ten apostles. And the Lord Jesus Christ was going to humble him to be the better leader that he could be at Pentecost. And he was. The man has two epistles named after him. But everywhere he went, everywhere Peter went, there are four gospel accounts that he denied Jesus three times. He had to live with that his entire life. And that's in the Bible. But he repented The Lord charged him, confirmed him, comforted him in John chapter 20, which we'll get to, and he was a better man for it. And we see him as the leader in the first half of the book of Acts and Paul in the second half of the book of Acts because of the change over to the Gentiles. The rule stands that pride will bring a fall, so we better stay humble before God. Now if Melchus had confronted him, hey, you're the one that cut my ear off. I'm going to have your head for that. Okay. Now, if, now then, if you know, that's a little more serious than a maid saying, aren't you one of his disciples as well? I'm telling you, if the Lord, if the Lord pulls back grace from us, Peter could easily have said, yes, I am. It's an honor to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. What did he do wrong? Doesn't that sound simple to say? Why not? Why not? Jesus had a lesson for him. Things happen in your life for a lesson. Nothing happens in your life by chance. There is no such thing as fate, but there is God that loves each one of us, and he is going to perfect us, mold us, chasten us, help us to be the best that we can be. And sometimes that's going to be to our humility and chagrin because we fail. And Peter learned that lesson. Learn with me. Learn with me, brethren. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Is that a Bible verse? Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Take heed to what? His pride. Take heed to his pompous, arrogant attitude or he's going to fall. It's a lesson. It's a rule. What are we going to get out of these verses? Just history? Not me. Not me on the watch. We're going to get more out of it. I want to know what went wrong here so that I don't do it and what went wrong here so that you don't do it. So we have the lesson from 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Another lesson. Godly sorrow to godly repentance totally clears great sinners. And Peter was completely cleared. And in just a few days, Jesus will confirm him, charge him, and he's in charge in Acts chapter 1. 
God must keep us back from presumptuous sins in our own strength. We do not have enough strength against presumptuous sins. David said, and we're going to pray for this Thursday evening, Psalm 1913, keep me back from presumptuous sins lest they have dominion over me. A sin that you commit because you want to commit it, though you know better. It's not a secret fault. How can you even do that? How can I even do that? Because if the Lord gives us up, we'll do it. That's how sinful we are. And so it's a reminder that we're not the big heroes that Peter thought he was. Do you remember in John chapter 20? Jesus gets Peter aside. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He's asking him, do you want to make your boast again that you're my most, my, my most faithful apostle and that you love me more than the other ten guys love me? Do you want to do that again? Remember how, he, how humbly he answered, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love thee. He didn't, he didn't want to say I love you the most. It's just, it's just beautiful. He learned a lesson, and he's better for it. He's magnificent in Acts. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, even fear. Fear is a lust of the flesh, or it's part of the pride of life. And so don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be tempted. Make, the Bible says make no provision for the flesh. Peter, by going into the high priest's palace, made a provision to get in trouble. What did he think was going to happen in there? Hey, we love Galilean fishermen. Tell us a few fishermen stories. What did he think was going to happen? That was an angry mob that were not happy about being up in the middle of the night and it was cold. They'd been exposed to the elements for the last three hours. That's why they, it tells us that. It was cold. They had a fire. They were, they were angry. They had brought in somebody that their leaders were paying them enough to be up in the middle of the night doing that. Peter, Peter should have known that. You should know that. Don't go where you're going to get into trouble. Don't watch what's going to get you into trouble. Don't have friends with, that's, that are going to get you into trouble. Be wise. Verse 18, the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. What verse do you, you men that know the Bible, when you read this verse or verses like it, that talk about Peter sitting with them at the fire. Oh, I'm giving it away. Or standing with them. What verse does it remind you of? Psalm 1. Beautiful. I'm thankful to be a member of this church. Psalm 1. Stand in the counsel of the ungodly. Sit, uh, walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Stand in the way with sinners. Or sit in the seat of the scornful. And what's Peter going to turn out to be? A scorner. I don't even know what you're talking about. I have no idea who that man is. And he curses and swears with oaths, Psalm 1-1. So don't stand with them. Don't sit with them. Stay away from such ungodly people. We're, we can go work with them. We can make money from them. We can make money with them. The Bible teaches that all plainly. If there is a block party in your subdivision and there's an ox roast because some pagan Wiccan has offered an ox to Zeus, go eat it. And take your kids and don't feed them breakfast that day. Let them eat extra. That's all in the New Testament. But don't hang around them like friends. Do you know what stuff he'd have been listening to at that fire? With hardened soldiers of wicked leaders? They didn't care about fishermen stories. And so that was an error on his part. It was cold. Jerusalem is the latitude of Savannah. Savannah in March and April, what's the average temperature at night? 3 a.m., 45, 50 degrees. If you're exposed to 45 or 50 degrees for several hours, you're going to be cold. So you're going to build a fire and you're going to stand around and get warm back up again. Go look at a globe. It's the latitude of Savannah. Peter stood with them and warned them. I trust every word of God as to how it's worded. Do you know what this writer told us in John 18, 5? Judas stood with them. Do you know what he told us in John 18? 18? Peter stood with him. How in the world? Peter was on Jesus' side, drew a sword, 
to cut a man's head off on the other side. Now he's on the other side. And you say, well, he was there with the best of intentions. The best of intentions can get you in trouble if they're not according to wisdom. It's misguided zeal. A father questions a child, a youth. A father questions a youth about the friend they have. I'm going to convert them, Dad. They're my friend because I'm going to convert them. What does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 15, 33? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Good communications don't convert bad manners. It just doesn't work that way in this world. And so be wise. Be wise. P- Peter is now standing where Judas was. And you say, but he had better intentions. He wasn't, qu- he wasn't like Judas. Cursing and oaths and swearing against Jesus Christ that he did not know the man and didn't even know what the person was talking about asking him? Pretty serious scorn. But the Lord's going to deliver him and he's going to be great. Remember the Lord turned him over. What did David do when the Lord turned David over to Satan? He numbered Israel. What did Joab say to him? It doesn't matter how many Israel has. If the Lord's with us, we can win any battle and we're not supposed to number Israel. Go number them anyway. David, the man after God's own heart, you ask the Lord not to turn you over to Satan. How do we do it in this church? We pray for God to keep that hedge of Job around us so that Satan can't have at us to move us to do something like that. David and Peter, both big failure of the Old Testament, big failure of the New, turned over to Satan for a little while, rescued from it. They both repented. Where's David's repentance? Psalm 51, where's Peter's repentance? In all four Gospels, he went out and wept bitterly. Lord, help us. Look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. This was an interesting verse this past week that I appreciated very much that Barnabas gave to the church at Antioch of Syria. North of Israel was a nation called Syria. North of Israel today, there's a nation called Syria. And the capital was Antioch, and that's where Paul's home church was. And so Barnabas was sent by the apostles to these new converts in Antioch of Syria. And verse 23 says, Who, speaking of Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And brethren, that is, what, that is what's laying on us right now. You're here for a weekend, but the goal is to cleave unto the Lord. Hold, cleave to him tight for the rest of your life, for the rest of our lives. We have a church to help each other cleave unto the Lord. I just, the Lord got a hold of me with that expression in the middle of this past week, a few days ago, with his exhortation to cleave unto the Lord. And that's what we need to do, and that's what Peter didn't do in this particular case. But after this, he did. And you know, if church history is correct, and whether it is or not, the Lord Jesus Christ told Peter, you're going to die in such a way that you're going to be carried where you don't want to go. And it sounds like crucifixion. You know, church history tells us that Peter said, I'm not going to be crucified by my Lord. I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. So what a transformation in the man. We are our brother's keepers. Cain denied it, but Jesus taught it. Hebrews chapter 3 says, As long as it is called a day, exhort one another, lest ye through the hardening of sin even deny the living God. Hebrews chapter 10, Consider one another, and to provoke unto love and to good works. We need to help each other so that we don't turn out like Peter for this short event. Because Peter in the long run, or the medium run, turned out very well. Because Jesus prayed for him. Lord Jesus, pray for us in our hour of need. And we don't, we don't mean a need of a spare tire or a need of more money or a need of a better job. But Lord Jesus, pray for us when we're weak in our flesh and are about to give in to Satan and temptations of this world. Have mercy upon us. Verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples... And of his doctrine, Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. 
I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and so forth, toward the end of the chapter. Verse 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. We were introduced to the politics of Caiaphas earlier in John chapter 11. Expediency. Whatever is expedient. Whatever will win the day. Whatever will carry the vote. If I've got to promise my constituents more than I can perform, who cares? It sounds good. They want it. They cheer me. I'm going to win. Whatever, whatever angle you want to look at in politics, it was expediency. So think about Caiaphas. Why is he asking Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine? Is it because he wants to learn? No. Look at Luke 22, just to get that off your mind. Holding your place at John chapter 18, look at Luke 22, and a few words put in here by Luke. This is the kind of, Jesus understood, this is not the precise same moment, but it's hard to tell that because the different Gospels want you to see a different angle on this trial before Caiaphas. But they've got him before their council and they're, they're grilling the Lord Jesus in verse 66. Luke 22, verse 66. Verse 67, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Why should we have an exchange? <laughs> Just brilliant. Because here was the issue. Pilate was, Caiaphas, not Pilate, Caiaphas was willing to do whatever was expedient to kill Jesus. He did not have any civil charges at this pass, but he sought religious incrimination. And he didn't have any witnesses for a religious crime. So what did he need? Jesus to incriminate himself. He did not have a civil crime. He had done nothing against Rome. He did not have a religious crime. He had no witnesses. There was nothing. So he goes after Jesus. And Jesus says, you ought to have witnesses here. I taught in the open and I taught publicly. Why don't you ask a few of them? They know exactly what I taught. I had no secrets. So there should be witnesses lined up against me. Why don't you have them? Why are you asking me about my disciples and about my doctrine? Because they were, he was trying to get Jesus to incriminate himself with that whole assembly of the Jewish leadership there, thirsting for the blood of Jesus of Nazareth, waiting for the smallest thing to come out of his mouth that they could jump on. Had they ever done that before? His entire ministry. Right. Have you read that they would ask him questions trying to trap him in his words? They would try to snare him in his words. They would ask him about paying taxes to the Roman government. They would ask him about marriage in heaven. They would ask him every kind of question they could to try to trap him. That is what this man is doing right now in public waiting for Jesus to incriminate himself. What could he have said in our nation? I take the fifth. We have a pretty nice set of laws. Look at this. Where were the witnesses? Jesus had taught right in the city of Jerusalem just days earlier. Why didn't they have their witnesses? We've been introduced to this man already, and John wants us to know this man. Whatever he needed to generate sufficient approval to kill Jesus, he would do it. He didn't have any civil charges. He didn't have any religious charges yet. So they had to make them up. 
And they made them up. Witnesses came after witness, witness after witness, couldn't agree among themselves until it says, finally, two witnesses came and said, we have heard this man commit blasphemy. He said, destroy this temple that was made with hands, and he would raise up a temple within three days made without hands. And you know what it says then? Even they couldn't agree among themselves. But that was as close as they got. So Caiaphas is at a roadblock. It's not in John. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Caiaphas is at a roadblock. Jesus isn't going to help him. Let's just read through the verses. I read through them again. Verse 19, The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine, "How How many of your disciples are there? What's he going to ask him about? Their average income? How many are there? Because then he could turn them over to Pilate as being dangerous to the Roman Empire. There could be an insurrection. Just questions about his disciples. So we, we have to speculate what he asked, but if he could get Jesus to confess to 20,000 or another large number, Pilate would, Pilate would be interested in listening for something like that. Caiaphas didn't know the number, for Jesus had traveled widely in and out of Israel. It has been popular to accuse Christians of sedition, thus our need for civil obedience. We never want to go on trial for disobeying the government. Jesus wouldn't, Daniel wouldn't, and others wouldn't, because that's what they're going to go after. That's the easiest way. A crime against the government, because the government has the sword, and the sword can kill you. So that's the easiest route of like the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church hardly ever put anyone to death themselves. They did it through the civil arm of the governments that they controlled. And so here we go with Caiaphas trying that, asking about his disciples, and he asks about his doctrine. The apostles and others were often accused of preaching against Moses and God's law, though they weren't against it. What did Jesus say when he opened up the Sermon on the Mount? I am not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And every jot and tittle of it is going to be fulfilled in me. Remember when he said that? So this is what they were going after. They wanted to get him in blasphemy or as a false prophet or idolatry. Those were the three crimes that they could get him killed for religiously. And they would take him on over to Pilate to have him execute the punishment. We don't know what Caiaphas asked, but by looking at the rest of the New Testament, we can guess and get pretty close that it was about the law of Moses and about the temple. Because, see, they're going to end up with the temple. He said he'd destroy it. That if we destroyed it, he'd build it again in three days. What did Stephen go down for? Acts chapter 6 tells us he went down on two counts. Stephen deserves to die because he preaches that this Jesus is going to teach us customs different than the law of Moses and destroy this holy place. Yes. Are you glad that there are customs different than the law of Moses? The last time you had pepperoni pizza, you ate contrary to the law of Moses. The last time you had shrimp appetizer, you ate contrary to the law of Moses, and you liked it. So you're against the law of Moses. Jesus did change the customs given to them by Moses, and did Jesus destroy their holy place? Yes, he did. So Stephen was right. And here's here's Caiaphas going after some of this to see if he, what he can get out of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say anything much to him. He says, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort, like he's lecturing Caiaphas on what Jews do culturally. They go to synagogues and they go to the temple to be taught religiously. That's where I went. I taught openly. I didn't have any secrets. You should have plenty of people lined up here that know what I said, that you can accuse me of a crime. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me, what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. The Jews tried to trap Jesus in his words many times, and that's what's happening right here. And so Jesus ignored. He did not answer the questions. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? 
And then we're told how Jesus got in front of Caiaphas by verse 24. Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. I spake openly to the world. You know, the Jews had their errors were so great about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because if they'd have read their if they'd have read the law of God carefully, and they'd have read the Old Testament carefully, all their prophecies pointed to Jesus of Nazareth. Because the Apostle Paul, after Pentecost, or Peter, or Apollos, could go into a synagogue and just take their Old Testament scriptures and show their fulfillment in Jesus of Nazareth. But they couldn't see it. They missed it all. So all they could think of is, this man is a false prophet that wants to turn us against Moses and turn us against the temple. But Jesus hadn't done that yet. He had just said, there's going to be destruction coming, and I'm going to keep the law. Jesus was circumcised. Jesus never preached against circumcision. It was Paul that started that. And Paul would have to answer for that later in the book of Acts when he came to Jerusalem. And the apostles that were there would ask him to take a vow on themselves. So you can see that in these verses, it's just a, it's an initial exchange between Caiaphas and Jesus that's not in the other Gospels. So an officer stands there and smacks Jesus like he's being disrespectful to Caiaphas the priest. Jesus says in verse 23, if I've spoken evil, if I've said something wrong, if I've said something blasphemous, show me. But if I've spoken well and I've just told the truth, why'd you just hit me? You're not following due process. You, you want to know what I've done wrong and you just smack me in court like that? There was no right to do that. There was no need to do that. He wasn't disrespectful. No, a couple things about the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, he's perfect. He didn't sin when on trial by being disrespectful to an, a properly appointed ruler. Jesus is just dealing with this man that smote him, that it wasn't right and part of due process, even of their own system, for him to be hit like that when there wasn't a crime and nothing had been stated that he had done wrong. But see, he was avoiding the trap. He was avoiding the trap. The trap was to incriminate himself, but he avoided it, so it was irritating them. So the officer smacked him. What did Caiaphas do because he had avoided him? And this is where we have to go to the other Gospels, and why I had you read Matthew 26 last night. There is a law in the law of God in court when you were sworn by the name of Jehovah, you had to speak. It's in Leviticus 5.1. It's in Exodus. It's in the book of Proverbs. A thief that heareth the voice of swearing. That means he's sworn to tell the truth. We do it in our country, and it's a wonderful part of our country. And it's less and less, but it's still there. Left hand in the Bible, when they used to, did uh, Judge Kavanaugh just become Justice Kavanaugh with his left hand in a Bible? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And so this is the way it went down. Caiaphas. I adjure thee by the living God. Tell us whether you're the Christ or not. See, Jesus didn't say anything in, in our exchange right here. He didn't say, I'm the Christ. I'm the promised Messiah. I'm the Son of God. He didn't say any of that. He just said, I've taught openly. You, you could be able to line up people all day that have heard me. And he did say all those things on other occasions, but they didn't have anyone here because they couldn't get them to agree. And so... Caiaphas goes to the next step, and this step I love. He got an answer, but it wasn't the answer he was looking for. You, let's go over to Matthew. We could read it in Matthew 26. We could read it in Mark 14. We could read it in Luke 22. It's worded just slightly different, but let's, go, let's take Matthew's option here. Matthew chapter 26. Before I read here in Matthew 26, Jesus being smitten on his face with the palm of a hand, disrespectful slap on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John doesn't go into the depth that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, that he was blindfolded, they spit on him, 
They smote him. They, they told him to prophesy who just hit you. Then he was taken to Pilate. Then he was taken to Herod. Then he came back to Pilate. The Romans did similar to him. What I want to share with you is this. He was hit in the face repeatedly. So that Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15, the last three, not 53, 52, last three verses say, his visage, his form was marred more than any man. This was just that John only tells us the beginning. And he just mentions one officer smacking him with the palm of his hand on his face. The other gospels tell us more by this crew blindfolding him and abusing him. And then the Romans doing the same thing to him. But the prophecy was, and we know that prophecy was fulfilled. And we know that Isaiah 53 said, it will please the Lord to bruise him, his face. You know, when I told you that I'm upset at verse 12 because they took him, they laid hands on my Lord and bound him when they hit him in the face. Lord, have mercy upon us. Okay, Caiaphas is at a roadblock. No witnesses, no civil crimes, no religious crimes. Jesus hasn't said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, I'm the Son of God. I'm going to tear the temple down. I'm going to, nothing. He doesn't have anything. So I told you what he did. He invokes an Old Testament law that by swearing him in the name of Jehovah, Jesus is going to have to answer, and Jesus will answer. If you read all the four gospel accounts, Jesus' silence caused this group to be frustrated and Pilate to marvel. Pilate couldn't understand how Jesus would not say anything in his defense because he, he knew that it was for envy. He knew that Jesus should be able to defend himself, but he didn't. And here we go. Matthew 26. And verse 62. And the high priest arose. Who's the high priest? Caiaphas. And said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? You're not going to say anything here in this court? What is it which these witness against thee? These are all the false witnesses that had come forward. But Jesus held his peace. Beautiful. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. He had to speak now. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. You say, what does that mean? That he's just saying, that's what you've said? No. We say it this way, you got it. Thou hast said, you got it, that's right. Mark says two words, I am, for you to understand what thou hast said means. It means, yes, I am. You got it, you're right in what you said. I am the Son of God. Thou hast said, nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye, See the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Amen. Then the high priest rent his clothes, quite a show in front of his own kind, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. And in the other gospels, you've heard it yourself. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and beat him up. Before they took him to Pilate. He was a mess when he was brought to Pilate. And between Pilate and Herod, they messed him up more. But I want you to know, I want you to understand how it went down. Jesus wouldn't answer them, so Caiaphas swore him to answer. Jesus said, Yes, I'm the Son of God, and you're gonna see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he said, Ye, meaning that it didn't have to be Caiaphas, because that Y is a plural pronoun. What he said, thou hast said. Thou is singular, Caiaphas only. Ye is plural. Many, some, I'm going to use the Lord's words, some of these men lived long enough to see Jerusalem destroyed. Right. 
Caiaphas lived long enough to see the sun go dark for three hours. Caiaphas lived long enough to hear about and see and feel an earthquake. Caiaphas lived long enough, the high priest, to get a message that that four-inch thick veil in the temple has been rent from top to bottom and is wide open to the holy place. Caiaphas got to hear that Jesus' body couldn't be found and the soldiers were scared terribly. Caiaphas got to hear that recent funerals, those dead and buried corpses, had come into Jerusalem knocking on doors. Caiaphas got all that in the next few days. Caiaphas had to see the unleashing of the Holy Spirit in the city of Jerusalem with those apostles and go out and turn Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world upside down in just the next few years. But there were men there that lived long enough to see the destruction of Jerusalem. Now think about, I've already given you one prophecy. I'm going to have to share another one with you. The one was, you know what Matthew 24 says. All these things shall come to pass on this generation. Jesus going up to Calvary, the women bewailing him, he said, women, weep not for me, but for yourselves and your children. For something bad to happen when both parents and children are alive, it is happening in the next 40 years. Got to have all the children born, but some of the parents are still alive. Let's go back just a few chapters to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, do you know these verses? Do you know how to connect them? Do you know how to explain to someone about what happened in 70 AD and what a prominent place the destruction of Jerusalem has in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, there's a group of people around the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, Some of you will not taste of death till Jesus Christ comes in his kingdom. Meaning, some, another some, or many, will die. What does it take to get most of a crowd of adults dead? How many years? About 40. And you're going to have some still alive. There were 30, so they're only 70. There were 35, so they're only 75. And so Jesus gave a similar prophecy to an audience that was with him. And this event is overlooked in almost all circles today. And yet it's so important because I started this second service off today with Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom. You'll see me coming in my kingdom. What will it look like? Jesus will be king and he will be punishing his enemies. That's what kings do. They destroy their enemies. You'll get to see it. You say, what, could it be Pentecost? No, it couldn't be Pentecost. No one died between this statement and Pentecost. This is the destruction of, of Israel in 70 AD. Amen. Could it be the second coming? No, it's not the second coming. Or we've got 2,000-year-old people walking around on earth that are still alive. This is the glory of Jesus Christ. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness, and then shall the end come, and that end is the destruction of Jerusalem. It's just beautiful. Jesus taught it here. Jesus taught it in Matthew 24, and Jesus told it to Caiaphas' face. I adjure thee by the living God. Tell us whether you're the Christ or not. I am. But you're going to see me coming, and he turns to the plural pronoun because he's got this whole audience of the Jewish leadership addressing him that condemn him for blasphemy for saying he's the son of God and he had proved by prophecy he had proved by his miracles he had proved by his doctrine he had proved by John the Baptist he was the son of God I love that Caiaphas had to hear a prophecy of 70 AD and that those standing around him were going to be able to witness it and Jesus came, and I've shared, I've shared a couple other prophecies with you. <laughs> Remember that sermon series preached many years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, the witness of 70 A.D., and how many statements there are in the Bible all the way from Deuteronomy 
to Revelation all the way to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 4, it's full of it. Daniel chapter 9 dates it. And it's all there for us to understand that Jesus did come in vengeance on his adversaries. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's described coming in fiery judgment on his adversaries, those that had crucified him on the cross of Calvary. And he came on them. Now that's not said in John. But what's said in John isn't said in Matthew. So as far as that being a harmony of the Gospels, I just harmonize them. Jesus didn't say anything. Caiaphas is frustrated. The clock's moving. Pilate's going to be getting up. We have got to get this over with, or there's going to be an uproar of the people. No criminal crimes. He won't talk or preach to us right now so that we can catch him in his words. We couldn't get our witnesses to agree because they were all liars. I'll swear him. So he swore him, but he got more than he bargained for. And, but they took what they heard. He's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be the Son of Man. He's claiming to be the Messiah that's going to come from heaven with a kingdom. He's claiming to be our Christ. Isn't that, is that enough? Men, is that enough? Guilty. Kill him. So off they go to Pilate. That's it. Off to Pilate, and they just push Pilate and push Pilate until he agrees to execute capital punishment in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had no witnesses except about the three days. Was the three days a true statement? If you destroy this temple that was made with hands in three days, I'll build it again without hands? His resurrected body. And if you go back to John and read that exchange, it's John tells us, you know, we didn't understand it then, but after Jesus rose from the dead, we understood what he was talking about. And it's just bringing the apostles along in their understanding of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Caiaphas, John wanted you to know about him. John told you, John 11, about him making that prophecy that was really a prophecy of Jesus' substitutionary death for us. He pushes that in again in John 18, verse 14. He wants you to know that the number one enemy of Jesus Christ in this whole event was Caiaphas. And he was guilty of the greater crime than Judas, greater crime than Pilate. And so don't forget that man, and don't forget what Jesus got to say to him and his cronies when he was on trial and when he did finally speak. Look at Luke 19. Let me finish. The faster you can get there, the faster we finish. I'm ready. Luke 19, verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city of Jerusalem and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace! Exclamation point. Luke 19, 42. But now they are hid from thine eyes. These things were hid, though they were so obvious from their own prophecies and from Jesus' miracles. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. That's called a siege, a military siege. And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation." There Jesus is standing before that mob. He said, cuff me in Gethsemane. They led him away for two miles. He stands before Caiaphas. He's been in the house of Annas. And he stands there and he lets them abuse him in his face. Abuse him with charges of blasphemy. But notice what he says about that city of Jerusalem. What's going to happen to it? Because they didn't know the time of their visitation. When we come into this house, Jesus comes and visits with us. Let us never come in here, just sit here, just mouth the words of some songs, eat some food, see a few friends, and go home. Let's embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and show him, tell him, and show him by our lives how thankful we are for him visiting with us. That was Luke 19. Back to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus told the parable of the householder, and they all knew that he was speaking about them. I'm not even going to go into that lengthy parable. You should know it. Matthew 21, 33 through the end of the chapter. The last quarter of this chapter. Matthew 21, 
They kill the son of the owner of the vineyard. Jesus said to the Jews, verse 40, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, when the owner of this vineyard comes and has found out that the husbandmen have killed his son, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Verse 41, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out rent, let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus went on to explain that we're the ones, Gentiles, that give him the rents of his vineyard, the gospel kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice what the Jews said. He will miserably destroy them. And, he, and they call them wicked men. And then in the next couple of verses, they realize Jesus was talking about them. Then you drop down to chapter 22, and you've got a similar story told about a wedding. And the Jews didn't want to come to it because they were more interested in making money. Like the Rothschild's family. And notice what he said. Verse 7, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And that is the way the Jews treated the marriage supper of his son. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. All these verses that we understand, and they all come together. This is what Jesus is going to do to them. This is what God's going to do to the Jews for the way they treated his son. What did I start off with this morning? He that honoreth the son, honoreth the father. He that doesn't honor the son, doesn't honor the father. And you're going to have hell to pay. Let's honor the son. Let's sing about the son. Let's obey the son. And let's tell others about the son as we have opportunity.